Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening and also thank my contributors to the show, who are executive producer Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, senior editor Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And if you are interested in becoming a contributor to this show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find a bunch of information there on how to contribute. And now, without further ado, our guests for today are Daniel and Teresa Duke. They are the great-great-grandchildren of the legendary outlaw, Jesse James. Thank you for coming on today. Hey, thank you for having us. So thanks for having us on. Yeah, this is fantastic. You know, and I'm I've always been sort of obsessed with the outlaw lifestyle anyway. You know, like I've done like a lot of past life episodes. And I always say, like, I think in my past life I was probably a pirate. Because no. I, <laughs> I, I I could just pitch I mean that's just the lifestyle that I would want to live is like just having that type of freedom. You know, oh, yeah. sort of stealing from the rich and giving it to the poor or hiding it out somewhere for a later, later generation to find. You know, it's oh, just, yeah. Leaving yeah. maps with all these clues. Yeah. It, it's just That's an incredible thing. <laughs> um, That's true. Oh, yeah. You can go anywhere you want, anytime you want. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's true. That That is true freedom for me. Yeah. I think so, too. I was thinking, actually, I was talking about that yesterday with, with a friend, uh, just travel restrictions today. You know, we've, we're so much more advanced today than we were then, yet there was a lot more freedom at that back then. So, yeah, had a lot more risks, but there was more freedom, too. So greater yeah. the risk, greater the reward. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's true. The greater, the greater the adrenaline rush. That, too. <laughs> so... The story of Jesse James, I believe, is not what was represented. I think it was the Clint Eastwood movie. I don't know. Um, oh, Outlaw Josie Wells. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. That pretty much that 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 they did a great job of uh, displaying what it what it was like. That's how it, it was. Well, close to what it was like for Jesse when the Civil War began. Only he was fourteen. Oh wow, he was just yeah. A kid. Yeah. So, 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 where did what, what happened? You know, he was fourteen. How did it begin? All right. Well, the Civil War had started, and what a lot of people don't realize is the Civil War had started about well, close to ten years before the official beginning of the Civil War. Uh, back in the eighteen fifties, um, you know, it was abolitionist versus. It was slave states versus free states was the was one of the big issues. There were a lot of other issues tied in with that. But um, uh, in Western Missouri, where Jesse grew up, there was uh, it was just fighting back and forth. Kansas was a territory. They wanted to make it a state. 
and the slave anti you know free state versus slave state forces were I chose that as a battleground. Um, people were fighting, you know, people who supported either side. It, um, you know, it started off with arguing and led to bloodshed fairly quick. And so uh, groups from Missouri would raid Kansas and groups from Kansas would raid Missouri. Kind of like on the beginning of the outlaw Josie Wells. Uh, they'd ride in, you know, groups of men would ride onto your farm. They didn't care if you, if you knew, you know, what side you took really is just you were on the wrong side of the border so we're gonna burn your house and rob rape and pillage and uh, that happened to jesse he was plowing in his field 14 years old a group of uh kansas guerrillas they called them red legs rode onto the farm and they were union-backed militia uh they rode onto the farm strapped jesse to his plow beat him severely and then rode onto the house where they beat jesse's mother and uh, accounts vary some say she was pregnant at the time and uh they strapped her to a tree and whipped her others say they just roughed her up either way they they pushed her around and then they hung his stepfather until he was brain damaged permanently um and and rode on and you can see why especially back in a rough area in the frontier days how any 14 year old boy would want revenge and it basically that's where the outlaw josie wells did a perfect perfect job of displaying that type of mentality wow. and you know he wanted revenge and he went out and got it wow that's uh tragic <laughs> really it, it kind yeah, of it, is. Uh, it, it also reminds you sort of like the story of kind of conan the barbarian too a little bit <laughs> yeah 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 i remember that one god that was a long time ago that was a good movie though <laughs> yeah. um yeah but you know i thought that's probably how a lot of child soldiers around the world today get started. Same thing. You know, they want revenge. Some, something, something tragic happens and they make the choice to go out and, and get revenge. Wow. But, but Jesse, he wasn't alone, was he? No, he wasn't. Uh, he tried to join when he wanted, when he was seeking uh, somebody to take him so he could fight. He tried to join the Confederacy. Because he knew his enemies, the guys who just terrorized his family, were were fighting on the northern side. And it wasn't so – with with Jesse and a lot of the people, it wasn't politics. It was basically, you attacked me, so now I'm going to attack you, and I have to defend my family and property. So uh, it, the Confederacy wouldn't take him. Uh, he was too young at the time. A lot of people told me he was too young, and he kept, he kept looking, and he finally found a group who would take him, and that was Quantrill's Guerrillas. And they they were very notorious. They were heroes on one side, you know, horrible villains on the other side. But uh, he he found them. They taught him how. He already knew how to shoot. And uh, you know, back then, a lot of boys at that age already you know knew how to hunt and trap and all that kind of thing. But he uh, they took him in, honed his abilities, and the, that that's basically the start for Jesse. He he uh, he was very good at killing. So and he made a name for himself over the years, and at the end of the Civil War, that's where a, a, a lot of the band, the outlaw part, comes in. They were outlaw. Uh, at the end of the Civil War, most you know, like the Confederate regular Confederate forces were granted amnesty, but the guerrilla fighters were outlawed, and they would hunt them down and kill them, or take them back to a military fort, give them a quick trial, and hang them, or shoot them. Um, so you, they were outlawed. They weren't granted amnesty. And in that case, 
you're kind of in that. That also falls in line with the outlaw Josie Wells movie. Uh, they, they didn't stop. They kept hunting and hunting. And they, you had a choice, either leave the country or fight back. And he chose to fight back in several of his other, the gang, the original gang. Wow. And he really stood out. Um, yeah, so there was the, the gang. There was like um, Quantrell, Bloody Bill, uh, Jesse, along with his brother, Frank, uh, several others. But Jesse stood out among a the majority of the group because he was like he showed no fear like he just had this devil may care personality and he went on boldly um you know just with no fear whatsoever and i think that's where he kind of why he stood out from so many of the others in that group yep. awesome um so so um, once the the war is over, what made them like? Obviously, they were outlaws, they were reading tracks. So I guess the only way they really had to survive was robbing other people. I believe that's exact. I, I'm sure they had other choices. I've had other people say, "Well, why did he turn into an outlaw and everybody else went back to farming?" And I was, you know, not everybody else went back to farming. A lot of people changed their names and left, and the other, uh, a lot of the others just changed their names and fought or they fought like Jesse. Most of those guys learned an alias was very handy in many cases. Right. So, so, uh, you know, if they needed to go into town for supplies, they would, they dye their hair or cut their hair or whatever they had to do to change their appearance. And they'd go by another name. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that, you know, the alias falls into place. It's kind of self evident why, why someone would need one. But, yeah. uh, when, uh, now I'm getting out of there's like a million little rabbit holes. I, my mind tries to go off. I'm trying to keep on the topic. So um, what was your original question? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, um, like, like was, was him be was uh, robbing like the only way for him to survive at that oh, time? Yeah, I, I believe so. I think it was. It was either that or live off the land. And even back then when they were skilled, you know, outdoorsmen, it's it's pretty tough to live off the land. Especially after a war, after, you know, armies had gone through areas and pretty much decimated the wildlife population and all the crops. And that was another thing. Um, at the end of the Civil War or near it, the Union, the, the northern government, you know, the, the U.S., uh, they had a oh, order number 11 where they ran everybody in that strip of western Missouri out of the area and burned all the crops. So there were there really wasn't. There was no income for just about everybody there. And, uh, but a big, that, that's pretty much what started it. He had to rob to survive and he knew where to go get it. Well, uh, and he, I've also, that brings to, up, oh. Yeah, he did try to turn himself in. He did try to surrender. Yeah, that's true. He got shot. And it's almost as if, you know, he tried to do the right thing and surrender, but he got, they shot him. He almost died. He got shot in the lungs. And it's almost like he was kind of forced into that robbing. Like he had no other choice, really, because it's like they wouldn't let him surrender. Yep. I mean, he did try to do the right thing. Hmm. But but he was Sorry, good, right? I mean, he, no, no. That's true. <laughs> Sorry. He, he, he became good at what he did. And then oh, he, yeah. he sort of became almost like a Robin Hood figure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of really people did, and the Robin Hood figure part kind of came into play 
shortly after the robbery started, uh, a former former Confederate, uh, John Newman Edwards, had a, he was a, a newsman, and he took up the case and basically turned into a PR machine for the James Gang. I mean, he was, you know, he was fighting the man. It turned from he's not fighting the government. He's fighting the railroads and the bankers who are robbing the people, you know, the, the common man of, of their wealth or what they should rightfully have. So, I mean, he, and he did a great job throughout, you know, throughout the James Gang's career. He, he played a great role in PR. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm all about fighting the man. so so how much wealth did he accumulate um doing these robberies and there's a whole lot of people out there still to this day looking for some of his hoard yeah yeah there's a lot of people um and most of the treasure hunters i've we've met remind me of my he he had a lot they had a lot of gold and that's where like jesse and his gang a lot of people don't realize they would split up they kind of like it was a lot of uh, they used the tactics they learned during the civil war guerrilla warfare uh, you don't all ride in one big group and you know hit a place and then ride away they would split up and 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 hit multiple targets at the same time or near the same time and a lot of people were confused which also it, it served they got more gold they mm-hmm. hit more targets and it sowed confusion with the law enforcement who was who was trying to catch them because you know it was everybody thought okay jesse james hit this bank and on the same day a couple hundred miles away they hit another bank or a train and people thought oh how, how is jesse hitting two banks you know on the same day one of them can't be and then they weren't sure as to what his identity was it played perfect in the into his hands. <laughs> so did he have like, maybe like some lookalikes too out there doing this? I don't, I don't think he purposely did. He may have, uh, but his cousin, one of his cousins, for example, would hike, uh, for a strong resemblance to Jesse. And he, he was also part of the gang. Uh, and he was known like, uh, there was a couple of train robberies. He would come out and say, Jesse James hit this train, you know, before he jumped off and he'd make a big show of it. And Wood Height was known to think of himself as a ladies' man. So he would add, you know, he put on a show when he was robbing a train or, or a bank, you know, bragging and just showing off. So it, was, <laughs> it, 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 it sowed a lot of confusion. Wow. So, so he was a very strategic thinker. He wasn't just an ordinary outlaw. He was somebody who did a lot of planning also. That, that's right. A whole lot of planning. Hmm. Um, so, so in your family, is there any written records that he, uh, written documents that you guys have? Yeah. We have a journal that has his signature, Jay James in there. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Like we, we have like a map that was handed down to my mom She's the one who originally started the research on Jesse James. Um, and she was given a map from her uncle and aunt. It was a map, that, a treasure map that belonged to our grandpa. Um, 
and then we have his journal it has a signature in it um I'm trying to think if there was it seems like we had huh. a couple of things i don't know if you can see that very well oh yeah that was a, yeah that's where that was a that's a copy of his signature in the diary where he had uh he had signed his name jay james and there was another spot on one of the other pages he signed his initials jwj which was you know jesse woodson james uh he had so we have it in his hint he signed the the doc the uh his day book is just full of full of a lot of clues i mean first of all he signs his name j james which is glaring i mean that that's that that what more could you ask for <laughs> and then then he signs his initials he also um the, it's full of of references well it's full of names of fellow gang members as well so you know he, he lists his he signs his signature puts his initials down um there's a lot of other clues but he also mentions a lot of known historically accepted james gang members and even even documents on one uh, in one part of the diary or day book um a, a string of robberies they went on into louisiana and one of the guys they met in Louisiana, he named that guy uh, Gervais Fontenot. I started researching his name, and it was funny you mentioned pirates earlier. Uh, Gervais Fontenot, who, who Jesse had stayed with and documents it in his diary um, while he was in Louisiana. At the same time he's in Louisiana, there's, you know, every place he was, there was a string of listed, and you go back to the newspapers around those dates, and there were strings of robbery, stagecoach. They were hitting stagecoaches and even a steamship. But the guy he, whose home they stayed at, Gervais Fontenot, I found out was the nephew of the famous pirate Jean Lafitte. <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, my God, it, it just gets deeper. The, the more you dig, the, it, it's, it, it's amazing. Wow. So there were pirates, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we love the pirates, too. <laughs> Um, the James gang, did they have a particular hideout? Like, I, I think I saw on one TV show, there was a particular town where, uh, they basically sort of concealed them because they would, you know, basically feed the whole town and take care of the town. I've heard a lot of stories like that. And, uh, some of them, there, there's, there. There's probably a lot of truth. I, I would think of a lot of the stories have some truth to, to them. Some of them more than others, but uh, there are so many legends and rumors about where they went. And then you also have to take into account they would split up, and people didn't know what he looked like. He was purposely sowing confusion, which you know benefited him and kept him out of a noose. But um, it, I I often wonder if some of these towns or rumors are applying more towards his cousin Wood Height than to him him or both of them. I don't I don't know. That's a good question. I know throughout places in Texas, especially during the Civil War, there were a lot of places where they would protect certain areas and then they'd hit other areas. And it was, you know, just depending on the politics at the time or who was attacking them and who wasn't. So um but dur during the civil or afterwards during their outlaw years there were a lot of hideouts, but I do know that Jesse didn't hang around towns. He, he, he kept, he steered clear of a lot of towns because he didn't want any more trouble than he already had. Um, 
you mentioned that that he hung out with that 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 he was friends with somebody who was connected with pirates, and um, you know one of the theories, like or I don't know if there's it may not even be a theory, it might be a fact that that the uh, skull and crossbones of pirates is a symbol for uh, John the Baptist's head, and some of them were related to Knights of Templar, which I know you know about, and. Yeah. Also, apparently, there's a connection between Jesse James and a Masonic lodges here, um, which is also connected to Knights of the Templar. So, so <laughs> it, it, how do you, how, how can someone, like, like, does all this somehow fit together? It does. And it's a wild story. Well, the way I, you know, trying to explain it in a nutshell. Um, a lot, like I've had people come up and go, you can't tell me that an outlaw was a Freemason. And it's like, why not? The Templar were themselves were outlaws. You know, they became outlawed and they had, they were pretty much forced into that life, either leave or become a pirate. And a lot of them chose to be pirates. Um, but they also stayed organized. And I think that same mentality, those same groups followed the same templates. If you find a successful way of living or, or getting what you want, you're, you're usually going to stick with it. I mean, you go with what works. And I think that's that's happened down through the ages. Uh, the Templar were outlaws, pirates. And then uh, when you've got and, and the other way, I also try to I, I look at it just toying with ideas a lot of times, because uh, a lot of this stuff, you don't there's there's no written facts on, you know, why. Say, say like, well, we've got the facts, you know, we know the Catholic Church attacked the Templar, disbanded them officially, and, and that started, in my opinion, a war that went on through the ages. Mm-hmm. And uh, free, uh, Freemasons were uh, basically, well, they were banned, uh, the Pope, Pope, I can't remember which Pope that was. It's always on the tip of my tongue, and right when I need it, I forget <laughs> it. Uh, one, one of the Popes, way back when... Um, wrote wrote a wrote a, a papal bull condemning freemasonry and that that started you know little fights they had to hide for a lot of freemasons had died also other groups i mean look at all the different people they persecuted over the years and i think over time like-minded people from around europe and other places gathered together they formed these groups uh francis bacon is oftentimes yes. credited with with forming freemasonry and um, I think he I think he took the writings of a lot of different men at the time and put it into a template in the form of his book, The New Atlantis. And I think from there, it you know, they, they formed Freemasonry. They had a goal. America was a new a new opportunity. And I think that's that's it, it led to just all kinds of spy games and fighting throughout the centuries, people wanting control of the new, the new world. And I can say, I mean, that's, you look at that today. If, if there's a, some say we go to Mars and there's great resources to be had there. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of nations fighting for control over who gets those resources. And it's the same way with societies. You've got the church. They were extremely wealthy. They wanted to keep their power and wealth. And when they see a group trying whom can potentially, threaten their power or wealth they're good they want to fight them uh, or you know prevent that from happening and it turns into i believe kind of like a cold war that pops up into a hot war every once in a while throughout the ages 
<laughs> I hope I answered that question. I feel like I'm rambling right now. No, no, no. you that. definitely uh, piece some of it together because because there's definitely a connection there, you know. And, and even like you mentioned, um, Sir Francis Bacon, and, and he's definitely an interesting character. He had his hands in so many different shady parts of the creation of the United States. Yeah, yeah. Well, like uh, Marie Bauer Hall, uh, she wrote a book titled Foundations Unearthed, and she was the wife of Manly Palmer Hall, a famous 33rd degree Freemason. And he was, uh, some people call him the father of new age thinking, and, you know, there's a lot of labels attached to him. But uh, uh, Marie Bauer Hall had written a book. She had been researching Francis Bacon and uh, the writings of Shakespeare. And she was completely convinced that Bacon was the main author behind the Shakespeare works. So uh, she found hidden, hidden codes and symbols in the, the writings of Shakespeare. And also, and that led her to Williamsburg, Virginia, her research letter there, uh, where she found a cemetery in a little churchyard where um, I'm trying to, trying to uh, say this so people can understand it better. I'm, it's like a million rabbit holes with each of these topics. Uh, she, it led her to the way uh, Bruton parish church in Williamsburg, Virginia. And in the cemetery, there were headstones with anagrams that she decoded along with the ciphers in the works of Shakespeare. And it led her to the original foundations of the church. People laughed at her and said, you know, that, you, that's crazy. This is the only church that's been here. There are no original foundations. And she proved them wrong. So when she proved them wrong, it shut a lot of her detractors up. They started, you know, some people started listening. They gave her permission to excavate. She said there was a, a vault 22 feet below the church. And, and they gave her permission to excavate and then turned around and denied her permission mm -hmm. and wouldn't let, her, wouldn't let her excavate. She said, according to her, the vault contained... Um, the secrets, the truth about Francis Bacon and Shakespeare. But in, in addition to that, she said it had treasures and information that would shake the pillars of Western history. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God. I mean, that's just that that's amazing. And the Rockefeller, you know, when you research it, the Rockefellers bought up a lot of colonial Williamsburg, um, almost all of it, I think, if not all of it, except for the church. But the church and this, the, I'm not sure how how accurate some of the some of the the uh, claims are, but a lot of people are claiming they don't own the church, but they control the board who controls the church, and and they won't allow anybody to dig. There were there were tunnels tunnels beneath the uh, uh, church that supposedly connected to the vault, and those tunnels were said to have led to uh, several houses around the area and possibly even. The uh, William and Mary uh, College of William and Mary, down the, just down the street from it. Yeah, which yeah, it's it's just such a crazy web of connections. You have a guy who's an outlaw, famous for robbing stagecoaches, all yeah. the way to Sir Francis Bacon, Shakespeare, <laughs> and, and who else? God knows who else is in this story. Well, yeah, I mean, well, and. <laughs> And one of the big connections I believe Jesse had that tied him in with one of the connections uh, was, well, his Jesse, a lot of people think of Jesse James and they think frontier country boy, simple country boy, you know, turned into outlaw. And it was a lot deeper than that. Jesse's dad 
was a Baptist preacher, but he was also co-founder of uh, William Jewell College in Liberty, Missouri. So he came from a well-to-do, educated family, and they had a lot of connections. And they also had a lot of uh, – um, they were related by blood to a lot of different powerful families in America. Mm-hmm. And they themselves – they have a very impressive family tree. And uh, so he comes from – a lot of people have misconceptions on who Jesse was or what he was. I mean, yeah, he was an outlaw, but there was a lot more to it. And I, I think – Although it's hard to prove on some of this stuff, like people claim he was parts of the Knights of the Golden Circle, which have their own mysterious dealings during and after the Civil War. Uh, but I can't find any proof on that. So you and the only way I go about this when I was writing, writing the book, you, you have to I can only show what I can prove in anything that was hearsay, like the Knights of the Golden Circle, for example. There's there's no proof. There's no records. There's no written documents or anything linking him to the Knights of the Golden Circle or none that have been found yet. But uh, now I'm getting off on another rabbit hole. Knights of the Golden Circle. (laughs) But um, during the Civil War, Albert General Albert Pike, he was a brigadier general and he was in the Indian Territory, which is modern day. You know, he's Arkansas. He was in Arkansas. He was in modern day Oklahoma and and parts of Texas. same the same areas where Quantrill's guerrillas would spend the winter, and they there were, I've found a few references to them, Quantrill's guerrillas and Pike's camp, you know that they, they were camping together, um, you know in large groups of men. It was soldiers and and a lot of uh, Quantrill's guerrillas. But I've often wondered if that's where Jesse came into contact with a lot of this. Uh, that that I've, I'd love to find the you know. That one moment where he he joined Freemasonry and became what he was, and you know joined that long that the, his story is is amazing on its own, but then when it ties into Freemasonry, it just opens it up into a, an even larger world. Wow! So when my mom originally came out with this, you know she, she started the research. She you know, was so happy. She thought everyone would be so happy that Jesse James didn't die as history stated, but then it led down to all these other crazy rabbit holes. And she never, I mean, none of us beyond our wildest dreams ever even realized, you know, when we took on this research, what we would, what all it would lead to. I mean, we really thought the same too. We're just proving he didn't die. Like history says, but Mm -hmm. it led to so much more. So much more. Some of the treasures. Yeah. Yeah, the treasures, just the treasures alone. You know, we thought we had this treasure map that was passed down through the family. It ended up with us. Um, We thought at most, if we found anything, it may, you know, it may, the treasures may lead to like a couple of mason jars full of gold or a saddlebag with some silver coins. And it, 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 looking into that uncovered, just blew our minds. I mean, it, it uncovers probably one of the biggest treasure stories in American history, if not the world. Wow. And not treasure, not just treasure, but it stems even more into yeah. like politics, um, spiritual treasures, all kinds of things. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's kind of like just the tip of the iceberg of what we're even revealing today it's crazy <laughs> you know trying to track the connections with jesse and freemasonry we know he was a freemason 
uh, under his alias, he was a member of a lodge here in Texas. A lot, the lodge, the building's still there. Um, and a lot of the Masons in the area who we have had, our mother had interviewed, all confirmed that, yeah, they, they knew him as his alias and they knew he was Jesse James. And I, that, that was huge, but it tie it keeps going deeper. I mean, he was a member of a lodge here. Uh, he had met more than likely Albert Pike. He knew a lot of other high ranking Masons. Albert Pike ties back, you know, he was the guy who reshaped the, the Scottish Rite and a lot of, a lot of, he was very important with Freemasonry. And then you tie the Masons back to the, uh, the founding fathers meeting with, and Marie Bauer Hall offered a lot of clues with that. A lot of the founding fathers went to church at the Bruton Parish Church. They would go out of their way to go to Bruton Parish Church. And back then, driving from one state to another was a lot more, I guess, an arduous journey than it would be today. Uh, so why were they all meeting there? I, it could have been because they had dealings with the treasures and other information that was at Bruton Parish Church. Uh, and then tying that back, it was like tracing a family tree only with an organization. It, you know, it goes back to Francis Bacon and the writings of Shakespeare. I wanted to know. And when I found that, I thought, OK, I found the guy who was behind all this. And now I'm satisfied. And that satisfaction lasted maybe a day, day and a half. Uh, it, it just turned into more digging. Um, who, you know, Francis Bacon's mentor was John D, known as the original 007. John because D. of an alchemical symbol. Yeah, yeah. he created the whole then, Enochian magic system. Yeah, and those guys were amazing. He was a spy. He was the, an advisor to the queen. Mm -hmm. he, he was an alchemist. He was, you know, he was a magician, an alchemist, like a mix of magician slash scientist. I mean, very learned. They, he was, he he was amazing. And and a lot of these guys, especially back in those days, were very crafted at a. Oh, cryptography. I mean, you know, hiding. They put a message in a letter and nobody knew. Nobody knew. Who would know unless you were in the know? And then it went from John D. back through, through his mentors and friends. It, there's a list I have in, in my first book of all the people. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like a who's who of the Renaissance in some cases. And there, there were a lot of people who weren't really known to history. And I wish I knew more about those people. They'd probably be known more at least if, if we knew any details on some of them. But I, I used the people I could find and that it, it was a clear line of succession all the way through uh, alchemists, scientists, artists. And, and a lot of these people were alchemists slash scientists slash artists. It was, you know, and uh, they, it goes all the way back to uh, Jewish rabbis, uh, ties in with people who had connections with Christopher Columbus it's it's wild and then it goes through these rabbis right down a, a line of you know a lot and most of the rabbis in this were related descended from and connected to through you know a line of succession uh rashi a famous jewish rabbi in france was lit or who's been mentioned as being a favored court guest of hugh de champagne one of the founders of the knights of knights templar Wow. And I thought, there's my answer. <laughs> I tracked it all the way back to the founders of the Templar. And I, it's very satisfying. And then again, the satisfaction lasts a few days until you start looking at all the little side stories. There's right. more questions. Like Bacon, too. He was also associated with the Sinclair family, wasn't he? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, well, that I've, I've I haven't seen the proof yet, but I've heard stories that he was. So, and I've read things. You know, I've you'll know, read something, but I, I haven't seen any documents. But actually, but I, th- again, I, I think he back, did find some documents in New York in these cylinders somewhere. I, I forget the lady who wrote wow. them. But they found some some type of there are documents now that I believe connect him with the Sinclairs. I need to find that. Was that recent? Um, actually, I had found out from from the TV show Oak Island. Um, okay, and, and it's, there's a, a woman there who wrote was on that show a couple of times who wrote a book. She recently passed away like last year, and it's oh, and it's all in her book. I would have to. I don't remember the name of the book right now. I would have to look it up and send it to you. But it was okay. in there. Well, I know after the show, I'm going to be Googling Oak Island Cylinder Francis Bacon. <laughs> God, that, that is cool. But, and yeah, well, that was the other thing that amazed me. Um, one of the guys that I'd mentioned in my book who's in this line of succession was Paolo Riccio. Mm-hmm. One of the names, he also went under Paulus Riccius and, you know, different names. But he was, they claim he was uh, a Jewish convert to to Christianity, to, to, to Catholics. And basically back then, if you weren't, if you didn't say you were a Catholic, you could lose your head. So, you know, yeah, I'm a Catholic. <laughs> I, I can see them, but, but he translated the works of uh, a famous rabbi. I believe it was Abraham Abulafia. Um, and he, he published it in 1516. Coincidentally, the, the same publisher who published the uh, Grail stories back in the day uh it, that which i thought was interesting because the grail stories kind of tie in with all the templar and, mm-hmm. and but anyway he had posted or he had he had published this book in 1516 and then it was titled uh porte lucius or gates of light and the illustration on the front on the cover of this this book had a had a picture of it looked like a what what they would term back then a traveling Jew. It looked like a rabbi. He was dressed for travel. He was sitting on a chair. He's pointing at something on the floor. And there's a hidden map. It, it, it the floor is tiled or stone, you know, stonework, and it's all in the shape. It looks just like I laid a map from the day, a world map from that time period over the picture, and it looks like he's pointing at the Atlantic Ocean and it, the the outlines of the the New World oh, on the wow. other side of the ocean. I thought this is cool. Well, what what really amazed me, the chair he's sitting in is in the form of an X and he's got a like a dagger on his belt and it makes the hook like on Scott Walter's hooked X. And <laughs> it, I thought, oh my God. I kept looking at it and I thought, no, it can't be. It 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 it's glaringly obvious to me anyway that it looks like a hooked the hooked X that Scott Walter's paying mm-hmm. for. And the, the treasure templates that I discovered, which is a whole nother story. But he, uh, they also line up with the Kensington Runestone area in in Minnesota, wow. and I uh, just it's it's wild. <laughs> and also with the Oak Island area, Newport Tower. <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm going to have to send this yeah. episode to Scott. <laughs> yeah, it's because really cool. My, my my co-host is Scott's neighbor. <laughs> oh, yeah, Jared. Oh, yeah, wow. Jared Murphy. <laughs> yeah, oh, Jared's a great guy. Yeah, I love Jared. is awesome. <laughs> he's my pal. <laughs> yeah, he, he's really very intelligent. Cool. He's I genius. Love <laughs> oh yeah, he has a lot of interesting, you know, 
he just listen to him. He he has a lot of interesting things to discuss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's just um. So now let's go go fast forward. Like one of the things I was thinking too is you mentioned he comes from a family that's pretty learned. They're, they're responsible for a university. You know, he he's being sort of viewed as this outlaw. Do you think though that some of his family connections? Helped fund some of his activities or helped him out. I think it, that's a good question, and that that's basically a big part of my my third book that's coming out next summer. Uh, yeah, his. Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, no, was go there ahead. More to the, no, okay. that's it. Yeah, he uh, he he was related to a lot of powerful people back in the day. In fact, he he was related to a lot of the people who were cha- who were supposed to be chasing him. Uh, from local sheriffs even to the um, governor, yeah, Governor Timberlake. Um, Timberlake's the one who put the price on his head, allegedly. Well, he did. He put a price on his head, but nobody ever seemed very serious about following through with it, except for the Pinkerton Detective Agency, and uh, that—that's all. Uh, They—they're the ones who bombed Jesse's. Uh, they thought Jesse and Frank, according to their story, they thought Jesse and Frank were at home on their their family farm and they bombed the house it killed his nine-year-old stepbrother blew his mother's arm off and maimed his stepfather's hand the, st- the same stepfather had brain damage from the civil war when mm-hmm. he was hung uh so that the pinkertons were hot hot and heavy and they wanted him and uh and they they bombed his his mom's house trying to get him but uh aside from them a lot of the guys were who who were involved in try, supposedly trying to capture him were his relatives. Wow. Either is this the same or marriage. Is this the same Pinkerton armored car service that exists today? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they, yeah they all, when I was in Houston, right after college, I, uh, I went through a divorce after college and, uh, I was staying in a hotel one night and you know, I rented a hotel, just any place to sleep for the night. And the, there was a lady patrolling the parking lot, and she was a Pinkerton detective. And I just kind of thought, wow, this is weird. <laughs> She's like an arch enemy to your family. Yeah. I thought, hmm. She was a nice lady, though. So, <laughs> you no, let her- it, Not a detective. I said detective. It was a Pinkerton security guard. You let her live. Uh, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. She, she let me live. She's a tough lady. But, <laughs> but very nice, so. Yeah, I, but when I saw the Pinkerton name, I thought, "Wow, this is this is kind of strange." I'm in an area I don't know, in the middle of the night, and there's this this lady with you know this lady with the Pinkerton badge on. Mm-hmm. I thought this is just a strange feeling, <laughs> especially after all the research we had been doing. Oh, and that yeah. was around the time we had just got into really. My sister and I had, had jumped in to helping our mom do all do re- a lot of the research. Wow. So yeah. So so. <clears throat> The rumor of him, how did he die? Did he die in a gunfight? No. no. He died of old age. So, he died at the age of 97. Yeah. No. In 1943, he was 97 years old, and he just he died of old age. Wow. And, and how many people knew his real identity? Like, like I know he was in Texas, right? That's where he, he, was, he yeah. lived out the rest of his life. What was his alias, actually? James James Lafayette Courtney, and I don't mean to step on your toes, Teresa. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. You're not. 
Okay. Well, yeah, it was his alias was James Lafayette Courtney, and and that happens to have been one of his cousins. Uh, he'd taken one of his cousins' names, and it, it worked like a charm. And it also helped that a lot of the uh, guys who lived in his area were former Quantrill's guerrillas. So they, they all had one. It's kind of like they had each other's backs. He had a nice little buffer. If anybody entered the area, just like any small town today, kind of, and, um, you know, somebody enters the area, everybody in town knows within a few minutes there's a stranger in town. So. Hmm. So, so was he being, so were they protecting him there? They were, I think they all protected one another. Uh, you know, it's like, he, you know, one, you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of thing. But they, they had, you know, they fought together, they bled together. So they had that loyalty. And on top of that, they were all hunted. And they had a vested interest in in making sure they all stayed safe, and you know, and they were just living as peace, peaceable farmers, at least on the surface. So. <laughs> so, so, so while they were doing this, though, like like were they still um, maybe funding or assisting in other covert activities? I think they did, but I don't have any proof as to what they were doing after after he had faked his death in 1882. I we know. He didn't just a lot of the things he was involved in. He didn't he didn't just step out of it and go home and, you know, live the rest of his life peaceful. Um, it was a lot more peaceful than being an outlaw. But I, we believe there were um, instances where people would come to his farm and exchange gold for cash. Mm-hmm. And that, that sounds like uh, like uh, it doesn't say, you know, you'd think they would have gone to a bank for that. But they went to him. So, <laughs> <laughs> it made me wonder what all. I wish I knew the details of everything he was involved in. But wow, 1943. Damn, my dad was born in 1928. So Jesse James was still alive yeah. after my father was born. <laughs> yeah, it's wild to think. I, my yeah. sister and I, our oldest uncle, he passed away a few years ago. Uh, he was a baby, and Jesse held him on his lap. And it just amazes me that, that, you know, it's just a small jump in time. I mean, there's, I know, I knew my uncle and Jesse held him as a baby. It just seems it's a, it makes the connection. It's almost a surreal feeling or just to think about it. It puts, it's, it's hard to imagine. How about your mother? Did she know him? She was born three years later, three years after Jesse had passed. But it's interesting, even just so even if you like take out the Jesse James equation, um, he had a lot of interesting uh, um, stories in his journals. Just as the under the alias of James L. Courtney, like he talked in one journal about the first, he called it the flying machine, and it was the first plane that he saw fly over. Um, I mean, he he had so many interesting stories in his journal just under James L. Courtney, but. Yeah, he had an interesting life. <laughs> so, so what else is in those journals? I mean, are there any, I mean, I mean, if these guys were working with codes and encryption, do you think there's any code or encryption in his journals that might lead to the treasure or so many other things that he was behind? I do. He's, he, he wrote in code in several, quite a few places throughout his journal. And, you know, it would be, sometimes it, it and it was odd. Sometimes, you know, you can substitute numbers or letters for the numbers. He would write 
you know, he'd put a string of numbers down and you'd have to substitute, you know, the letters for the numbers and try to figure it out. And some of them, we were, some of them weren't too hard to, to crack. And you can see where he would write simple ones. And then there were, there's a few you just can't figure out. And it what? makes you wonder what, what was he hiding with that? It's almost like he went, you know, he added a lot of complication to some of them, whereas others were fairly simple. What I'm curious to, I would love to find. Um, so have you ever seen the National Treasure movie when yeah. he's looking at that map? But then there's like yeah. encrypted stuff all in the map. I, I wish we could find something like that with the journal. Like I wish there was a tool to see if that was in the journal. <laughs> like I feel like there's things in there that in the pages that we can't even see. Yeah. Oh, like, like I remember like that invisible ink stuff as a kid. Like you'd, you'd write it down and you yeah. have to pour like lemon juice on it in order to see it. Yes. I yeah. Would and then heat it with a blow dryer or an air uh, hair dryer. Yeah. I have a feeling there's probably stuff like that in there, but it's so old. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to yeah. risk doing that, but I wish we could find a professional person who might know more about how to bring out things like that. It'd be interesting to see. Do you think you what could other find messages are in there? Yeah, I, I would imagine it would be universities out there with all sorts of a scientific equipment yeah. to yeah. analyze these, to look for codes. Yeah, and, well, I would love for that. Well, God, that would be nerve wracking. You know, I would, you know, I'd, I would want to stand there and hover over their shoulder the whole time, making <laughs> sure they didn't mess anything up. So. <laughs> oh. but, yeah, the, uh, uh, another person. Some of the connections, well, like you had mentioned earlier, uh, different connections he'd had, like relatives and stuff. Um, it was also related by blood to several people, well, several lines, uh, near near recent politicians. I'll put it like that right now. Uh, that'll be in my third book. But uh, like one politician who contacted us, he, he wasn't related by blood to Jesse, but he was very interested in the treasures. It was a former uh, attorney, attorney general for the state of Texas. It was Wagner Carr, who also was uh, Wagner Carr. A lot of people knew him. He headed the Warren Commission, who was investigating. Well, he didn't head it. He was a part of the Warren Commission, who investigated the assassination of JFK. JFK yeah. And he was friends with LBJ and some other people. Um, but he had called my mom, and yet at first they argued. He didn't like mom's story, and you know he was kind of arguing with her. And then she ended up winning him over. Uh, he she showed him all our facts. He reviewed the facts, got back with her, and wanted her to write a book about him. She didn't. She said, "I don't have time. I'm writing my own book, and I'm having you know I'm I'm involved in that." Real nice guy. Uh, they got to talking about the treasures. He he he, he turned the. He, I think that was the main reason he called, to be honest, the treasures. But he sent his driver to meet us and showed my mother and I several locations where large treasures had been recovered. And I remember one was one of the, the locations is about 12 miles east of me. Wow. And, and I thought, my God, you know, all those hard times we had back then, if I would have just known <laughs> there was a horde of treasure, you know, just buried right there. We used to drive by it all the time. It was maybe a hundred yards off the state highway. And, and it, it just amazes me. But um, trying to move forward with that. Oh yeah, Wagner Carr. Mm -hmm. uh, that was one of the one of the connection. He was connected to the story, but in in different ways. Uh, uh, let's see. 
I'm trying, but yeah, any, anyway, I'm trying to not get off track with my, what I was saying. The, uh, the, the information he gave in, in, in addition to information from, a um, World War II vet and Scottish Rite Mason, who had, when he was a kid, he knew Jesse and helped. He, according to him, his name was George Roaming. Uh, George Roaming was a Scottish Rite Mason, World War II vet. When he was a kid, he told us Jesse had hired him and sworn to an oath and helped him move 700 bars of gold about 18 miles from his house. So, uh, and he, he drew a map for my mother and I, we went out and located it. He told us right where it was. It's under it's under a lake on Fort Hood uh, military reserve property. So I thought, yeah, we're, Fort <laughs> Hood. yeah that's not going to happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it helped that his information and pinpointing it for us. And it in, in, in addition to Wagner Carr's information is what it, it opened the door on the discovery of the the treasure template as a whole, one of the templates. And that, that's what led to my, my finding that it was more than just local treasures. It's a network that crosses the Americas. You know, it's, it's funny that, that, that it's found on Fort Hood because I did an episode with somebody and we were talking about national forests, national parks, military bases, and where they're placed. And it's like, the government has gone out of the way, out of the way to to purchase these pieces of land, say oh, it's yeah. say it's <laughs> say it's for the public, but not allow the public to access it, because they probably know that somewhere on there something valuable is hidden. Oh yeah, yeah. And I it agree. Does, it, it does. I mean, you hit on a great sub uh, topic. Like it does seem like it's strategically play, a place like that. Like everything, everything we've seen, it seems like there's some kind of government building. Well, either that or <clears throat> some, the of these loca- so, some of the locations where I believe large ones may have been uh, are now, um, you can zoom in on them on Google Earth and see that there, there are big rock quarry, rock quarries, sand quarries, a place, you know, it's, a, it's the kind of business that requires heavy machinery and heavy equipment. It, who's going to think twice about that? You know, it's just the quarry. And they could be re- retrieving, no telling how much gold. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that that's the perfect cover. It, yeah. I think so too. <laughs> um, you know, do you, do you think that, I mean, in connection with the Knights Templar, this land, government, all that, do you think the Knights of Templar basically funded, um, the, building of the United States with Templar treasure money? I do. I, I, I believe they all had a common goal. They wanted a place with, they say, you know, with liberty, freedom of religion, uh, out from under the thumb of the Catholic church at the time. And I think the new world offered that opportunity, but they needed the wealth to back it up. Just like any nation, anytime you're going to start a business or, you know, much more a nation, you're going to need funds to back that up and funds for rainy day funds, you know, just, and I believe that, I believe the robberies that Jesse had done, um, pirates, you know, different pirates throughout history, like Jean Lafitte, they would Mm -hmm. gain wealth. A lot of times I think it seemed when Jesse did a robbery, for example, 
he had information about it long before they, they didn't just ride around looking for a stage to hit. Yeah. They knew which stage or which train they needed to hit. Um, and I've been told by some people in the past that like a, a shipment of gold from California by rail would get hit and they knew exactly which train the shipment was going to be on. Well, some people claimed the organization that it, it could have been Freemason, a Freemason or somebody else would uh, own the mine they would insure the gold. The gang would hit the, the train, take the gold, and then the insurance would pay for the gold. So they doubled their money. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. The, the, yeah. It, so they, they had liquid they had liquid capital to continue their their or their job or, or their you know whatever they, their activities, and then they had gold to store for rainy day. And I think that kind of mindset played out not only through them. I, I know they they weren't insuring ships that the pirates were hitting or at least i don't think they were but they were gaining a lot of wealth and i think i think it all ties into funding the nation wow it's, it's almost like what's going on now with this ransomware stuff you know the i, I yeah. think i, oh, I think these, I, I, I think these insurance companies are the ones that are doing it yeah <laughs> and they're just doubling their profit <laughs> yeah playing both sides <laughs> yeah that's an amazing story in itself <laughs> they, they took one out of his playbook. Yeah, yeah, and that they they got paid in cryptocurrency is mm -hmm. mind blowing. You know, I mean, yeah. that's, that that blew me away when I read about that. Yeah, and, and, and like the cryptocurrency of Jesse James' day it would have been gold. Yeah, yeah. gold yeah. and yeah. and now it's digital money. Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy. Like that video. I saw a video some guy made of dog money, and he, he sings a little song about dog money. So <laughs> every time I think of, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, my something popped up on my screen. I don't know. You actually sound better now. To, oh, I can't hear you. That's what it is. Huh. Sorry about that. One second. <laughs> you can go, Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I can't yeah. Hear you. It it is amazing how the times have changed from, um, you know, back in Jesse's time, it was, you know, gold. And now it's like, dig everything's digital and people are getting hacked. And I don't know. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I turned it back to my normal. <laughs> Something happened to the earbuds and they just went out. That's all right. <laughs> He's still <Sorry>. here. Yeah. <laughs> But but yeah, it's, it's it's just the same playbook that they're using. I think you know. Yeah, and now we're wearing masks for different reasons when we go in the bank. I wore a mask. <laughs> I wore a mask the other day. I had to go into the bank to set up a new account, and I felt so weird going in there with a mask on. I haven't been in bank since the COVID thing hit, uh -huh. so it was new for me to go in there with a the mask on. I was like, this just feels. You feel funny, but at the same time, it kind of feels a little good. So. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's in your DNA. Yeah, that's <laughs> like if they only knew, they only knew this. Grandpa would be laughing. But you know, um, here's something a lot of people don't know about um, Jesse. During the Great Depression, which was shortly before he died. He and a group of his old friends helped keep the banks in their area afloat, which kept the towns and everything. They kept 
they they helped them they kept them in business with a lot of the gold they had mm-hmm. and you know they had lar- the way from what i've found what we've discovered they held they had large catches that were set aside and they didn't touch those but they also had a lot of smaller catches for i guess rainy little rainy day funds and they would use those to help the banks in their area during the depression so they lived well but they also helped others Wow. Which yeah. kind of ties in with that Robin Hood legend, you know, the Robin Hood thing. Yeah, it, it's a common theme. Even, even like with the Italian mafia, it was sort of the same way during the Great Depression. Yeah, that's true. Like, I've seen uh, old movies, but you can all, I mean, they were based on, on events uh, where, say, during during when people were having hard times and, and it was Thanksgiving, nobody had the money to buy a turkey, the mob would hit a turkey truck and... <laughs> throw out turkeys to people, you know? yeah which it's it's good pr and you're also helping people so mm-hmm. that's definitely the way to do it yeah um so how like like, like how does this change i i mean i mean this changes the history of the united states essentially and and and, and how we formed and and there's probably even more going on, like like you guys like we're talking about with this political side of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and some of these guys and some of these families are probably still in politics today. Um, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so so you know, what do you think you're gonna, you're going to be you know uncover, or what have you uncovered so far that has really really shocked you? The depth of political, well, God, there's a lot. I mean, just on the political side of it, the shocking yeah. part. Well, <clears throat> I'll, I'll give you one. Uh, he was related by blood to LBJ. Wow. LBJ's mother descended, they, they would have been, uh, I forgot, I can't remember exactly what, it was like third, second cousins once removed or something like that. Uh, it came down, and I'd have to look at the charts real quick, but LBJ's mother descended from from or at the, it was through his mother's side he descend he descended to the, they had the same common ancestor uh jesse and lbj would have been cousins and not only that uh, there was a man who was very notorious in his day who was also some say well he was on friendly terms with lbj for a while anyways billy saw estes mm-hmm. i don't know if you've heard that man. i have uh he was like a dallas kind of he was like a mob figure. He sold fictitious, he sold fictitious uh, grain silos and fertilizer things to to foreign investors. And just like the Robin Hood template, he helped the farmers. In he helped farmers. He they had money because of his activities. And I thought that's it's weird how that works. He was hitting the big guy and helping the little guys and lying in his pockets and doing fine the whole time so everybody was happy but the big guys and the funny thing is if you look at the template billy saw estes was using which it, it's it was really nothing new his parts of what he did were genius in, in a criminal way but it looks like a lot of things uh hedge fund banks and and others kind of legally follow today it's almost like they use the same template only in a more mm. legal manner. Wow, that's but like actually people. something that I'm like really, really against is these hedge funds. They drive me yeah. crazy because, yeah. you know, it, it, it's just they're only the wealthy have access into them and it just makes them more wealthy. 
Well, yeah, like uh, over-the-counter derivatives, and that, that's a whole different topic. But uh, <laughs> over-the-counter derivatives in 2012 amounted to the tune of like it was like 1200, 1200 trillion, which is 1.2 quadrillion dollars uh, in 2012. They're unregulated. Uh, Warren Buffett labeled them like a, oh, financial weapons of mass destruction, and so did Alan Greenspan. Mm-hmm. Yet nobody could touch them. It they get they had gotten too big. But the people who put them out, it's it's like they're selling it on the markets. It's it's in municipalities, states, nations, anything you can think of it. They've infected everything. So if one of these business businesses fall fails, like Lehman Brothers in 2008, it starts a domino effect because it's like bets. On, they're making bets, backroom bets, and then they it has a notional value. So the guy who makes it sells it to so and so. He takes it and sells it to his buddy and it keeps going on down the line and the notional value builds, but the real value is just a drop in a bucket. So when, when one, one of those people in that chain collapses, the whole row collapses and it's like a spider web of, of hellish debt that, that could topple nations. And that, that to me is far greater than anything Billy saw Estes ever did. Yet it's legal. Nothing like a good old-fashioned eight-year recession. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a lot of it. I like I love researching their tactics and what they did, and then looking at how that compares to people today, and how what's going on today in many cases seems much worse than anything the outlaws did. Yeah, so. like it, it makes you, it makes me think: who's the real criminal here? Yeah. And that is why I think the Robin Hood status is so powerful with the mafia, Jesse James, and a lot of other people throughout history. Um, Do you think that the, not along with just treasure and wealth, but do you think that uh, religious artifacts are also hidden here on the continent? Like, like the um, Holy Grail, the Ark of the Covenant. Do you think all that stuff from like the Temple Mount was brought here? I don't know if it was all brought here, but it wouldn't shock me if a lot of it was brought here. Uh, I think they spread it out. I, I also think, you know, uh, Rennes-le-Chateau in France. Uh, that's been the subject of Holy Blood, Holy Grail, which the Da Vinci Code was kind of based off of. Um, they... Uh, I think they buried treasures in different nations, but I do think a lot of it came to the Americas, Canada and the United States, and even south of the border. So I think there's a lot, but I'm not, I'm not sure how, how many religious artifacts, but God, I'd love to find out where. Um, yeah. Well, like the Bruton Parish vault that Marie Bauer Hall had written about that I'd mentioned earlier in Williamsburg, Virginia. She said it had items of, of, you know, it had tre- the typical treasure, you know, gold and silver jewels, stuff like that. But she said it had historical documents and items of uh, like, like religious items. Wow. And I don't know what that would entail, but it was important enough to catch the attention of a lot of powerful people in the day. Right. And, and that sort of just, just brings me back to them having these parks that nobody can go to. I think that's where they keep this stuff or, yeah. or, or they're, or they're Under, still the searching for it. Protecting the environment. They're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, well, we know it's here somewhere. So we'll just claim this hundred square mile mm-hmm. piece of land and 
<laughs> it, could, it could be a savings fund for I don't know. I, maybe they're maybe they're just it's like a a deposit that they're just keeping it on the side for a rainy day fund. It could be for yeah. our good. Uh, I, I always get curious about that though. Wow, you know, one of the theories that I've always thought possible. You know, and, and this kind of goes along a little bit with the Da Vinci Code theory, but it's a little bit different. It's, it's a twin Jesus theory, where Jesus had a twin brother, Judas, and Judas took Jesus's place on the cross because he felt guilty for betraying him, and then Jesus wow. escapes to France. And, oh, wow. And, and, See, I, I, I've, I've never heard that theory. That's an that's interesting theory, though. Interesting theory. And, and then, then some yeah. of Jesus's children form an organization and come over here to America. Wow, I have not heard that. Like, I, I mean, I, you know, I've, I'm familiar with the Da Vinci Code theory, uh, theory that, about him and Mary Magdalene mm -hmm. having kids, but I never even heard that one. That's a real interesting one. I'm going to have to check into that. <laughs> I mean, that, it, 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 it explains a lot. It explains the, the yeah. resurrection, you know, of him yeah. being seen walking around later on because it was really him. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I know that he also had a brother. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus had another brother named I don't remember which what his name he's, was. I think I it was Thomas, he, right? Yeah, and I think he was hung on the cross too at one point. The, like it, he it, was. That's how I think. I think they changed the story. Yeah, in the Bible, so, they, they, they Judas, Thomas, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, I yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> I had some, you know, you got my mind thinking now. <laughs> like when the Da Vinci Code came out, I liked the movie. It was very, I liked the movie. I also loved the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail. But they, you know, you know, some people they hear they hear just a hint of something that goes along against what they were taught, and they're instantly thinking, you know, that's horrible. I'm not watching it. How could you watch that movie or read that book? Mm -hmm. And I always laughed at that. I said, you know, you got in. Like, you know, just arguing with them in a friendly way. And I, I wasn't pushing any theory. I always try to keep open-minded on that. But I would say, what would it matter? Why does it make you so mad that Jesus could have had a child? He could have, you know, you said, they're like, well, he was God and he died for our sins and went to earth or went to heaven afterwards. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And I, I'm not going to argue that. But who's to say if he was, you know, you say he was God, not, you know, I believe that too. I'm a Christian, but at the same time, who's to say he couldn't, you know, he could do anything he wanted. So mm -hmm. he could have died and gone to heaven, come back as a man and lived out the rest of his life. But the thing, the, the thing with me is always, he, people say he, he came to, to, uh, he had to go undergo all the temptations of man. That's why he came here in human form to undergo all the temptations and then save you from them. Well, if he had to go undergo all the temptations, you you would have to be married to undergo the temptation of adultery. Yeah, and that that to me that that's the big <laughs> key on that. I, I never mean, thought of that. Yeah, you. That's one of the big sins, and you you have to, if you're going to go through all that temptation, you'd have to be married. So wow. it just makes me wonder. <laughs> And, I never you know, caught. I never caught it, that. They don't like it when you when you bring that up. A lot of people just shut down. Mm -hmm. so. That's interesting. Um, you know, I had um, who did I cover? It was uh, Clive Prince and Lynn Picknick Picknick on about that because he's sort of like a Da Vinci Code expert, and we were talking yeah. about 
some of that and, and some of the hermetic side of it, all the hermetic symbolism that, that we just find everywhere here in this country. You know, it's on the dollar bill. It's in the design of, of our capital. It's just everywhere. In the architecture and mm-hmm. everywhere you look. I mean, it's, it's almost, they are, they're simple, the building itself in many cases are symbols. Yeah, the and Pentagon. That, the Pentagon is a, a, a hermetic yeah. structure. Yeah. And it's probably literally hermetically sealed, too. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. <laughs> I bet it is. Yeah. It's really interesting and it gets so deep. It's it just, really does. It's mind blowing. Sometimes it's just overwhelming. If you just, I mean, you just can just keep digging and digging and just where it all branches out to. It's just like, is there an ending point with any of this? So, so that's what drives me crazy. I, I, I keep telling Teresa, I wish I could live forever so I could, I'd have enough time to research every one of those rabbit holes. Wow. So, yeah. what, and what is it like, 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 like when your family gets together for Christmas, do you guys just just unravel all these theories? A lot of them, <laughs> a lot of the family only know the Jesse part of it. You know, the strange thing, and I've seen this with other authors. You write a book, you make a discovery, you write a book, and people, the, the last people to read it are your family. <laughs> I know that for a fact. Most of your close friends. Your yeah. close friends are like, yeah, let's, let's go down to, let's go fishing. <laughs> like, yeah. you're not gonna read them. here let's take the book so you can read it I'll, I'll read it later they don't want to read it i don't know what the deal is and i've told to, I, my theory on that is when you know you grow up with people that everybody naturally creates like a category because everybody categorizes everything so they put you in this mental box mm-hmm. and then when you step out of that box it throws them off and they, a lot of people just don't want to, they don't want to know that side. They want to keep you, keep the boxes in order in their mind. They don't have room to, or they don't want to take the time to rearrange things. And I, I, that's just my theory on why a lot of close people who are close to you won't read your book. So. Was Jesse James married? Yes. He was? Yes. Uh, his wife was Mary Ellen Barron and her father was Captain Thomas Hudson Barron who uh, came to Texas in 1821, and then he, he left, got the rest of his family, and came back. But uh, he was a Texas Ranger, Thomas Barron. And, yeah, there's that. There's more ties with that in my third book. I was, um, I could talk for days on this, so like just the, the blood relations to different people. But uh, yeah. he, uh, Jesse's, there, there was a wanted poster that was circulating in the Dallas area back back in the 1800s and it was said you know it was a wanted poster for jesse and the james and younger gang and they said they were known to have ridden with texas rangers around the dallas area which made sense because a lot of the texas rangers had fought in alongside quantrell's guerrillas mm-hmm. uh, and, or or their sons did like uh, thomas Barron, jesse's father or father-in-law his sons had ridden with uh the Baylors, some of the people who are, you know, they're all related to the founders of Baylor University. Uh, and they, they rode with the Baylors through New Mexico for the Confederacy. It was, and that's a wild story in itself. But um, yeah, his father, and I don't mean to ramble on, <laughs> probably more than answered your question. So, so him, all, the, all these Texas connections, are, is there any connections to the Bush family? 
Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Did I hit a sore spot here? <laughs> uh, that could go nu- nuclear. <laughs> that, yeah. A, Does my face look like it's getting red? Yes. <laughs> no, <I'm>, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well just go right for the most powerful family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. <Sorry. laughs> um, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to keep laughing. um. We've never had anyone be that direct, so we're like, whoa. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's the first. I've never had that question directly asked to me in an interview. I I don't know if I'm a good interviewer or a bad interviewer. Oh, you're good. You're very good. You're very good. You're good. I love it. Thanks. Yeah. I like it. I'm just kind of like... <laughs> yeah, collar's getting tight. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the rum? Yeah. yeah. There rum. Are, there are, so, so now we're back are, to now we're back to pirates where we started. Yeah. Uh, back to the pirates. Yeah. <laughs> the long long dead people who can't hurt us. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, there are definitely some found, um, like, there are just on that, along that subject, like, some things that could definitely shake up a lot in history if it was revealed. So, and, and Danny's working on the third book. I don't know if he's, I don't know where you're going with all that. So I'm not going to say, but. All I've got is uh, I'm awaiting the editor and to contact me and then the publisher contacted me and told me they expect it to be out spring or summer of 2022 um but they don't have a definite date yet hmm. what's the title yeah, of the new there's... book uh, i'm not supposed to say right now uh. so, sorry. <laughs> they sent me the cover art and it's very, very nice so it's just called the daniel duke third book yeah. Book three. Yeah. <laughs> More like ticking time bomb. It should be called title oh. ticking time bomb. It's uh, yeah, it could. That that's the one that made me a little nervous. You have to dance around. You have to be real cautious with some things. Right. Uh, but this is yeah. the, but this is the Jesse James in your blood, coming out. Yeah. Yeah, and he was a cautious <laughs> man too. <laughs> That's why I made it so long. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, he, yeah, there, there, there's a lot. There's some touchy areas that I use. I just keep away from. Uh, <laughs> and that's, well, I don't Sorry, know why really laughing. Got- Sorry, I, I probably I, I feel I like I'm a, I, I feel like a kid with his hand caught in a cookie jar. I'm like, well, yeah. I know the secrets are here, but I just can't I can't tell them. Sorry, right. I, I've already I been. Love the way, I love the way you did that, though. That was awesome. <laughs> I mean, it, it wouldn't be my first time being raided by the FBI. <laughs> oh, no. Damn. 
you're who's more, the Je- you're Jesse. Yeah, you're that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Who's the Jesse James here? You. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I always wanted to be a pirate. Is that that, that part of me is just that, there? I I've always that. been that way. <laughs> I love that. That is awesome. <laughs> You have that wild spirit. That's so cool. And you know, it's refreshing because I don't know if you if you get on Facebook much, but like the social medias, mm-hmm. but it just seems like no one, like everyone, is just so afraid to be themselves now. And it's refreshing yeah. to see that. So don't Thanks. lose that ever. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's refreshing. Well, Everyone's you know, just so afraid me- these days. Everyone tiptoes around everything yeah well like teresa mentioning face that uh i I, i've always laughed i'll joke with teresa you can post a picture of some green beans you just cooked and you'll get a 150 likes you know people dumb people commenting and liking it you post something important and you could could hear a pin drop Mm -hmm. yeah people could care less whether it's politics the economy anything of importance and people just clam up yeah. And but I don't know think, if that's just because they're yeah. afraid to talk about it or if maybe everybody's getting to a point where they're burned out on that kind of stuff. I, I don't know. I always wonder what the reason is people behave the way they do. It's just censorship. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I don't think they're burned yeah, out. Like the algorithm just, just doesn't let that go through. Yeah, the, I mean, the government has really, really good control over things. Like, like with me, with the FBI, um, I had... Two computers, like, like you know how, like, like in the old days, like if you had a cable box, you could get free stuff, and they would send a bullet to your cable box and knock all the stuff out. Well, they do that now with computers because one day I just woke up and my computers were all dead. Oh wow! <laughs> you know, like they didn't even have, we've, like, we've like had, they didn't even have to come to my house. You know, <laughs> we've had ex- we've had ex- similar experiences I when it. we were. Um, dealing with you know the research with our books we we kind of similar things with the computer crashes um sources that we were trying to save for yeah. our books completely erased. Um, so yeah similar yeah. things <laughs> i don't know if it was fbi but i know that we definitely had some things erased <laughs> yeah yeah they, they do so, yeah. that and, and also um like I had one of my guests sent me um, some some stuff from Project Stargate, some some special oh, some audio cool. files, and oh, wow. uh, but but now it seems like I can't get in contact with them. Oh, <laughs> so I I, I, I think they I, I think they've just blocked our communication, you know, our ability to communicate. Oh, wow, that's really. I mean, yeah. you know, hopefully that's as wor- as bad as it gets. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I spread all my stuff out. Well, I mean, we have, we've gone through the whole, like, I, I guess I call it data scrubbing, like, um, you know, sources that we've wanted to use or just magically disappeared. Mm -hmm. I keep hard copies of stuff like any, any, because of that, uh, when I find a source for anything I'm going to use in a book, I'll always print it out and uh, I'll save one on, you know, one on an uh, external hard drive, another on a USB. I'll just I'll spread it out in different things. Oh, yeah. Put the USB in a little Mylar bag and, and hope that that See? protects it. <laughs> yeah, tons of them. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And then you got to mail them to secret locations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just don't forget those secret locations. <laughs> you, may, you may need to do your own little map with coded messages. <laughs> you can locate those. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, we've gone through that, too. I can't tell you how many killed computers we've had. So, God, yeah. you know, and it usually happens either. right before, right before the final, or around the time of a final edit on my books. Yeah. Yeah, they do it. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's irritating. I mean, you'll have a nice, <laughs> a nice computer, and all of a sudden it's down, and that sets yeah. you out another thousand dollars, or you know, seven hundred to a thousand. And then you've got it. It's just, it's real irritating. That's why, like, I collect, that's why I collect computers now. Whenever I have a little bit of extra money, I'll just buy another computer. That's a good even idea. If, even if I don't need it at that time, I know I'll need it. I, guess. I keep, a, I keep <laughs> yeah. a laptop, right? I have a laptop for that reason now. That way I don't have to go out and buy another one. But that it's an old laptop and it's Linux on it. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of hard. The only problem with that is I, I think you got to get a virtual machine. So that you can run Windows to type the you know, with Microsoft, which is what the publisher wants. So in you know, in on that format, it, it gets real. It's just it's a it's a lot of trouble. I just hope the book. Doesn't, <laughs> I hope it doesn't happen this time. <laughs> so, uh, I, I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like put on another pot of coffee. I'm gonna have a long day. So. <laughs> Well, that, that's kind of like what's happening though. Is like, you know, back in the day with Jesse James and stuff, you know, the weapon was guns, but now mm -hmm. the real weapon is knowledge. Cyber attacks. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's telling people the truth. That's true. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Information. Yep. Yeah. Whoever controls the information controls the world. I think so. I think Pretty so much. too. Awesome. Well, hey guys, this was a fantastic interview. You know, we have Thank to do this again sometime. I love it. Oh, I would love to. We loved it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to do it again. You got it. <laughs> um, before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you and find your books? Anywhere books are sold. Uh, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook, all the social media, uh, LinkedIn. I think, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I, I, I'm not on LinkedIn often. I don't know why, but it's something. Anyway, uh, Twitter, you can look for Dan Duke author on Twitter or Facebook and find my profiles or my page. And Teresa's on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Our Teresa book. Duke author. Yeah. Our, our publisher is uh, Inner Traditions and their website is innertraditions.com. Mm -hmm. And you can find our books there. It's uh, Jesse James and the Lost Templar Treasure was my first book. And then the, Teresa and I wrote... Uh, the Mysterious Life and Fake Death of Jesse James. And those are both available through innertraditions.com or Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and literally anywhere books are sold. Oh, cool. Yeah. I know you're on Inner Traditions. I know Ashley over there. Yeah. she's. Oh, she's yeah. yeah. In, in fact, Jared just signed with them. Yes. Yeah. We were so happy, happy for him. Yes, we were so happy for him. <laughs> I feel yeah, like he, he's going to go far with, with his information. Like, oh, yeah. I really feel like him deep yeah. down, you know? 
Yeah, me, me and is, him are. Whole we're, me and him are planning a trip to the Grand Canyon to try to find the lost cave of G.E. Kincaid. Oh, yeah, he mentioned so that. Cool. Wait, yeah. G.E. G. E. Kincaid. That was the guy who um, wasn't he hired by the Smithsonian long ago to go down the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. Um, he was a National Graphics photographer who was hired to photograph the Grand Canyon, and he found a uh, an Egyptian treasure in one of the caves. Yeah. Oh, and wow, then it was so confiscated cool. by the Smithsonian and buried yeah, in history. I'd read an wow. article about that years and, ago, just researching something else. I came across the article and I thought, that is really cool. And they described like, uh, yeah, Egyptian stuff, uh, things from other cultures mm-hmm. that shouldn't have been there. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we, I have this whole theory about Atlantis. And before it went down, that that people kind of scattered. Some of them went to Egypt, and some of them came here. And I think some of them hid some of the stuff in the Grand Canyon. But there's also other evidence, archaeological evidence, such as like uh, there's a place in Louisiana called Poor Poverty, and there's these mounds, and it looks exactly like the shape that's described that Plato described as Atlantis. Wow! Oh, wow! And, and Man, that's really cool. Poor poverty. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it's like, that's now I'm in Alabama, thing. so it's not even like really far from me. Yeah, that's really cool. So, I think that's so thing, exciting. Yeah, poor poverty, and that's, that's almost like a distraction. You wouldn't think anything great would be found in a place called Port Poverty. Port Poverty, Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> if, you want to, if you want to hide something. Yeah. yeah. That's true. And it. Things like that are usually in the, the last place most people would look. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the weird thing with the Grand Canyon, too, is a lot of the sites are named after Egyptian names. Yeah, that's true. A and, lot of the mountains and hills and canyons. Yeah. And, and a lot of it people weren't allowed access to. Wow. For, oh, wow. For safety reasons. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right? For your own yeah. <laughs> you might trip over a rock. Oh, really? It's for your own good. <laughs> More than we realize. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so, so me and Jared are always up to doing stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, that hill, that hill's That's dangerous. awesome. Yeah, that hill's da- – I could picture that. That hill's dangerous. If you climb it, you could end up in a single car accident across the country. Well, I don't know what how- <laughs> You know, apparently, Jared said that somebody was over there a week ago at this location and tried to fly a drone down the side of the Grand Canyon to where the cave is, and oh, he wow. said the drone got shot down. It did. And apparently, oh, wow. apparently, this guy has supposedly has footage of it, but I haven't seen the footage yet. Oh my god, man, that's really yeah. It's just you know all the stories out there it's just it, it kind of makes you wonder when you think about like listening to our story and y'all's stories like just how much stuff was hidden you know what is out there waiting to be uncovered yeah yeah tons of stuff and and, uh, and i think it's slowly we're getting there i think i think we're getting to that point where things are slowly being uncovered yeah. well you know and if you look at and, and I get mad when I, I'm not allowed to go look for something like, you know, you can't you're not supposed to climb. Look for the cave, for example. And it, it, 
it used to make me really irritated. It's like, why, why not? You know, yeah. why can't I? But I can see, I can see their side of it potentially um, just because, you know, if, if, if there's an ongoing struggle for power, both sides are vying for, you know, one side fighting for whatever their goal is. Like I believe the Templar were, you know, and the Freemasons were set up America for Liberty, freedom. Um, I think the other side wanted their, their same old game, you know, basically keep the people down and take their money. And (laughs) when you're warring with two powerful factions, I can see where stuff like that could turn into, you know, areas of great importance that needed to be protected Mm -hmm. at least until they reached their goal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think because of, of private, you know, it used to be people relied on the government and universities for for this kind of stuff. But now yeah. there's more and more people like me and Jared who are just like, heck with it. Like, yeah, we don't have the credentials, like official pieces of paper, but we're going to go look for it anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it's a lot of fun, too. So, <laughs> yeah. Like, why not? Yeah. I, I, I mean, the worst thing I'm going to lose is my life. I don't want it to happen, but it'll be worth it. At least you lived your life. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I couldn't happen. think of a better way to go out than on a, a crazy adventure. Yeah. yeah that's true. It, it's a whole lot better than dying of cancer or some other disease. Yeah, that's, <laughs> oh, that's the same thing all the time. Danny says that all the time. I'd love to go into my sleep. I was like, I'm not. I'd rather go out like what you're saying in a tunnel, you know, a, some some bad guy shooting me or, or something, you know, anything but <laughs> cancer or in my sleep. I want to be awake and I want it to be, I want it to look like an action movie. <laughs> me too. I want, it, I want it to be an or adventure. Indiana Jones. Some kind of Indiana Jones type of, you know, a big cave. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Like I, I used to always, I joke with my wife, like if I, if I found out that I was terminally ill, I would tie a pot roast to my back and swim out into the ocean and try to wrestle a shark. Oh my God. <laughs> No, that would be the worst. But but you know how many you know how many YouTube hits that would get? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> no, to me that would be the worst way to go. Like oh, you, you I, I I love yeah. sharks, but no, I wouldn't want. Yeah, no, I could see that happening. You you set up a you set up a crypto wallet and tell people you know if you if you want to see me chum the water and dive in. Send me two Bitcoin or, or whatever. No. Yeah. Work you could get. No. And that way, if you went, you wouldn't get it, but your wife would. Mm-hmm. Goes to the family. I would not, I would not want to go by shark. I, have, I probably shouldn't have even said oh. that. I was, I, I've always loved the movie Jaws, so I would. When Quinn dies, I'm like, that's the way I want to go. Oh. Yeah, I love. I do. I love. Like I'm fascinated. I've always had a fascination with sharks, but from a safe distance. Like they're so fascinating and magnificent. But man, mm-hmm. I would not want to be torn up by one. No. Can you imagine the people who fought sharks and they lived? I mean, it just blows my mind. I, I just, it, I just don't know how that even happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I swam with char- sharks before. It was pretty cool. Oh my god! Like in the Dominican Republic, you can do it. Oh wow, wow. man, that's an adrenaline rush. Yeah, it's pretty cool. 
You are just James, see? You have no fear. <laughs> no, I really don't feel that much fear. <laughs> you would have you would have fit in perfect then with them. <laughs> I probably would have. That's why I say if I, I, a pirate, some type of some some type of rebellious outlaw. That 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 would have been me in a past life. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, that was the other thing. You know, they had a lot of connections to other outlaws, other than like the you know uh, Jean Lafitte's nephew I mentioned. They also had connections with uh, Johnny Ringo. Jesse and Johnny Ringo were related. Uh, 1879 and in, in 1879 in New Mexico, Jesse and Billy the Kid met in uh, Las cool. Vegas, New Mexico. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, they, <laughs> the, it was when you see all these connections, it kind of paints. It, it, it's not a far stretch at all by any means. It, it naturally leads me to viewing it as a large network. It wasn't just, you know, wild, one wild guy out in New Mexico goes crazy and starts, you know, fight, whatever. Yeah. It, it was more, it was more, much more organized. Right. It painted yeah, out so like, you know, wild, carefree, you know, the history likes to paint it like they were wild, carefree cowboys, got mm -hmm. a little out of hand and we had to put them down. Right. And, and it, yeah. that's not what it was at all. It was, it was an organization. It was. And they, they, they had charisma and, you know, no fear, but at the same time it was... They they had a purpose behind it. it yeah, and I think they yeah. all had the same purpose because just like like with pirates, like a lot of those pirates, not where we were the, you know, Templars and stuff, but a lot of them had been Navy guys that were working for other governments that just went yeah. AWOL. They said, you know what, we're not fighting for you anymore. You're not doing anything for for the people. Yeah, and, well, yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. And it's sort of like the same thing with, with with the outlaws here in America. You know, they were. You know, you had a choice to fight Confederate for the confederate for or for the north. And it's kind of like, well, no, we're going to fight for the people. That makes the in that all of a sudden that makes you the outlaws that you're going to not fight for a particular side. You're actually going to fight for freedom. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I like that. You, that summed it up perfect. Yep. <laughs> well, guys, this has been fantastic. It has. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I will post the links to this episode, I mean, the links to your books and to, to your account. Do you guys have a website? I I do. I'm still trying to. I need to get it back up. Um, it's up. It's uh, just, just two of them. One's jessejames.com and the other's authordanduke.com. Okay. And, uh, I'll post links to those too in the notes of this episode. Maybe this episode will probably be out in about two weeks, so maybe by then you'll have them up. Okay, hopefully. Depends on the <laughs> yeah. <business>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if my crypto pays off, <laughs> or, 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 or we could all be shut down by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard something in the news recently. Like, there's um, oh god, I don't know what it was, but oh, I think it was a couple days ago. A lot of big institutions were hacked, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I didn't read the headlines. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't read the head. I just kind of, I was working and half glanced, but it was something about some massive hackings with some big institutions. And I don't know. I don't know what all it entailed, but you're right. So that may mean we all might just not be around. <laughs> we all may be hacked. We might be. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Awesome. Maybe we all need it. Maybe we not all need to escape to Mars and go with Elon Musk to Mars. 
Maybe. <laughs> Actually, so um, I was watching yesterday that Jeff Bezos is oh, yeah. going. He's taking a trip into space pretty soon, I believe. With his yeah, brother. His brother's with his him. brother. And then they're also doing like um, allowing an auction to take place. Whoever the highest bidder is will get to go with them. And I think the bid starts at like a million dollars or something. So wow. that would just take Elon with them. <laughs> yeah, they can fight it out. In the <laughs> now, that, that could be a televised event that would make millions. Yeah. Elon versus Jeff Bezos fighting in space. That would be. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. I would tune in. I, I would, would tune too. in and watch that. <laughs> and the betting, God, that, that could make, that would generate no telling how much. I, I don't know who I'd, I guess I'd have to root for Elon Musk. Me too. Because at least he has, a sense, uh, he has a sense of humor, at least. I think he is awesome. I he's think he's got there. a great... Yeah, he's different. But he may, like you said, he's he seems like he's just got a real good personality and he's got a sense of humor. And completely and, unpredictable. Yeah. And yeah. About that, yeah. You know, when you can't predict what a person is going to do, it just, it really catches my attention. Yeah. So out of the two, I would root for him. I don't agree with everything he does, just like anybody else. You don't agree with everything he does. Yeah. Seems like a likable guy. Yeah. 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 Jeff Bezos just sort of seems like just another corporate crony. Yes, I think so too. Yeah. (laughs) And it seems like they are all against Elon Musk. Like, it seems like everyone is out to, like, not let him succeed, you know? And I'm like, why? Why are there? I don't understand why he has so many haters. I don't either. I like. It's just him. weird. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta try. So, to yeah. Get, I gotta get him on the podcast. Oh God! If you, yeah, I'd oh, love that. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> he might be the type to do it too. You never know. I think he would. Yeah, I think, I he, think would. he would. He like he just does whatever hits him. Yeah. I really think he would do it. I know he he was he showed up on Clubhouse a couple times. Oh, that's cool! Wow, man, that's something. Yeah, I have an idea on that for a cryptocurrency. Monetize? Well, God, I don't even know if I should say it. <laughs> <laughs> Monetize? Yeah. Well, I'll go ahead. And monetize nature. Use the climate, the climate, the state of the oceans, you know, all, all the anything that's polluted. Rainforests could be monetized. The climate, the water, everything. And then, play, you know, place a value on the coin. And I'm not a coder. And I'm not really sure how that would work out. It's just something I've been toying with lately. If you could mon- monetize nature, base the coin's value on nature, and the better nature does, the more value the coin gets. <laughs> the worse it does. And instead of having a, a carbon tax like the governments are trying to do, you could you could have a currency like that that would people could profit off of it. That's actually genius. Well, thank you. <laughs> if they could, if people could yeah. profit off of it, and it would be in their best interest to be nicer to the planet while profiting at the same time. Wow. Yeah. If you know how to code, cut me in if you ever make that. (laughs) I know. That's a great idea. I think it would work. It struck me 
about a week, a week and a half ago, I thought, you know, that could work. It's just like any other commodity. You tie a commodity like the dollar used to be backed by gold mm-hmm. and silver. You back this token by nature. Yeah, if it's and backed by nature, then that gives people incentive to make the nature better, not destroy yeah. it. Exactly. <laughs> it does the better complete story. opposite of what our current currency does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at most currencies. Most currencies, it's like I need to make as much money as I can any way I want. Yeah, I like nature, but it's standing in my way of you know putting food on the table or whatever. So if you tied, the, if just flip the tables and make it where being friendly to nature makes you profit. I love it. That's genius. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but awesome. yeah, it's, I don't know where the idea came from. I just, <laughs> just I woke up one morning. I was drinking coffee, and I thought, huh. That might work. It's it's amazing what you can do with just a cup of coffee. What kind of creativity you can come with up with just with one cup of coffee. Like my day, like I can survive the worst as long as I have a cup of coffee. Like that gets me through so much. (laughs) (laughs) If they ever outlaw coffee, I'm going to be an outlaw. Yeah. If they ban it. Be an outlaw. I, I drink about twenty cups a day. Oh, me too. They just seem to put an IV in my arm and let me do it that way because <laughs> I drink it nonstop. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't ice. function without it because like I'm like super I, laid back anyway. And, yeah. And, and, and without the coffee, I just become like almost not functional. Yeah, that's how <laughs> I am. I'm the same. Three to four pots of coffee a day, and then uh, four years ago. I collapsed one morning. It was my thyroid. I found out I had a th- real slow thyroid runs in the family. And uh, so, so my doctor told me to cut back on the coffee and I, and among other things, and I did and it helped, but I really miss drinking three to four pots a day, but I still drink. I just drink three very strong cups now so, <laughs> instead of three pots, <laughs> just three cups. I keep it coming. <laughs> Non-stop, yeah. morning to night. Like, I've been drinking it on the interview. Like, I just don't. <laughs> yeah. I need more water in my life, but I get water in my coffee. Right. <laughs> yeah. those, those are really the only two things I drink are water and coffee. Yeah, me too. Me too. That's I, I don't, so funny. Like, I hate soda. I can't yeah. stand soda. I do too. I don't like soda either. It's terrible. <laughs> so it's either... Water or coffee, and it's not even normal water, it's sparkling water. Like, yeah. I can't just do tap water, yeah. Topo Chico, I can't do like just regular plain water, it's got to be bubbly. Well, I like to, I do drink the bubbly water, but I also have like a water cooler, so I just buy a little Oh, that's big... cool. Oh, yeah, because I do drink what tea, I drink tea too. I guess, I drink oh, tea. yeah. I drink yeah. hot tea. I can't yeah. drink cold tea, but I can do hot tea. Yeah, that's what I drink before I go to bed. Usually, it's like hot tea. Yeah, uh, I don't. I should. I quit sugar. Oh my god! When I got sick, and it's everything is helped. Yeah. At the same time, sometimes I'll I I'll go to a restaurant and they're like, "You want a tea?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'll take a sweet tea and then add a little more sugar in it." And God, it's good. So, <laughs> yeah. So I was. Yeah, coffee and sugar and cream are in mine, and I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like life is fine. <laughs> I, I can't imagine a life without coffee. <laughs> and I can't sugar. either. <laughs> yeah, me either. 
take this supplement and it, it actually helps me. It gives me energy throughout the day. That's good. It's, uh, just nicotinamide mononucleotide. It's a, uh, it tied in with the anti-aging crowd, a doctor from Harvard, David Sinclair developed it. It's supposed hmm. to, it, it helps and it's anti-aging, but not for vanity reasons. It's just to make you, your cells healthier. Wow. And it, all it is is a harmless form of, it's kind of like ni- uh, niacin only without the skin flush. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had a bad reaction to niacin. Yeah, me too. Cause yeah. I, t- I tried to take it cause he told me I had high cholesterol and I didn't want to take the cholesterol medicine. And then one day at work, all of a sudden, I feel like I'm on fire. I feel like I was burning and my, I turned real red. And I thought, I'm not taking that stuff ever again. But You but, know, the, the funny thing, you mentioned that, um, I, you know, I did the vaccines, not because I wanted to, but I had, my work is kind of making me do it. And also I want to travel, so I did it. But it kind of had that same effect that mm-hmm. the niacin had. It made my skin feel like it was on fire. Both of the vaccinations. It did you too? Yeah. Isn't yeah. that weird? Danny mm-hmm. said it happened to him too. It made him real hot. But it also gave made me feel more energetic throughout the rest of the day. Everybody it's like what? About, yeah, yeah. People worry about. Know. Getting I sick. didn't feel I that. Worry. Oh, man, I hope I don't get sick because it said possible symptoms could be fatigue. My, I got the opposite hmm. of fatigue. It gave me a burst of energy. Like, it I, didn't feel like I had fever, but uh-huh. I just felt real hot. Like I was heating up my body. I was like, "What is this? Am I going to combust? <laughs> Spontaneously oh. combust?" <laughs> Like, like I was okay after the first shot, but after the second shot, like I had that hotness and like, and I was tired for like a day. Like I slept through like yeah. half a day and, Me too. and then the following day though, I did feel pretty good. Yeah. yeah. It makes me, me wonder too. why I got the energy from it. it yeah. The second one, I felt real hot, but I also had a lot of energy, but I still, I do, I worry about the long-term consequences down the road, but what can we do? I can't worry about it. Yeah. I had to get it in order to go back. Oh, here's the kicker. So I did it. Our job said you can't come back to work unless you take the vac- get the vaccine because we've been working from home ever since COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, well, we want you all back in the office in September, but you have to have the COVID vaccina- vaccinations. So we all rush out and get them. And now they're like, well, we may not have any jobs in September. And I'm like, thanks oh, wow. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm like, really? Thanks. <laughs> Force you to yeah. get it. And then you don't, yeah. That, yeah. That, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. I was lucky. Like, I, I never stopped working through the whole thing. And actually, I, actually, most yeah. of my, most of everybody above me quit. So they kept promoting me to take those spots. <laughs> Oh my God! And that now, is awesome. And now, now I'm the boss. <laughs> wow! Hey, that worked out really good for you. <laughs> because nobody wanted to go to work and be around people. They were all afraid. Oh and, yeah. And I wasn't because I, I had COVID like back in 2019, so I wasn't worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't I know I didn't have it, but I remember when we were in the office. It was like the December before it actually all hit. Everyone in the office near me was coming down with this terrible cough and fever, and they all think they had it. But I never came down with any of it. And I kept thinking everyone was dropping like flies mm-hmm. around me. I was like, God, I hope I don't get whatever this bug is. And Didn't I never got it. 
Didn't one lady in her 40s die? And they, they said it was the flu that killed her, but it mm-hmm. makes you wonder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's like... Uh, we have a friend in New Jersey. Her brother was like only 40, and he died from it. Yeah. And, and then my wife's aunt down here in Alabama, she's the, was the reason we moved here. We think she had it, and it damaged her heart, and then she died from the heart condition. It's so scary. I have a friend who... Um, she just got out of the hospital. She was in the hospital for like over 45 days with it. And she had like, you know, the tracheotomy, she can breathe. She had a lot of stuff. And yeah, so yeah. So maybe it's good that we got the vaccination. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even, I don't even care. I'm like, well, I'm like 55 now. So yeah, you know, what are we going to look at? Like maybe another 25 more years anyway. (laughs) I'm putting my hopes putting my hopes in that supplement I showed you. I'm like, yeah, I want to live to 150 at least. And hopefully by then they'll have some kind of technology where you just won't age. And then you well, can just, Elon, I can keep Elon Musk, I'm sure, will come up with something to keep everyone from... I he'll come up with something. Behind that. I want to live forever so I can know as much as, much as you possibly could. Well, we could just yeah. free, we could freeze your head. Yeah, that cryogenic thing and then read me back. <laughs> Maybe. That's a like, good uh, point. Did that? Uh, Walt, Walt Disney. Disney. Mm-hmm. Walt Disney did that. Is it yep. just his head or his whole body? I don't. I think he probably did his whole body. Like the head I thing. Think is, so. The head thing is like the bargain version of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he. Yeah. I, I, I think he did. Maybe yeah. a portion of my frontal lobe. <laughs> God, that that's scary. I think we have an interview with Jared tomorrow, right, Danny? Yeah, I, I believe yeah. it's tomorrow. So oh, tomorrow awesome. we have one with yeah. So we have one with him tomorrow. That's great, Jared's yeah. awesome. Oh yeah, I I I enjoy. I always enjoy the interviews with him and you. Um, oh. I hope we're not keeping you. I know. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Tried to tell us. I know. I know. I know. And we're all like, yeah. <laughs> See, get me some coffee and I'm good to go. <laughs> all night. <laughs> but really, it was a real pleasure. We really enjoyed this. So thank you. Uh, me too. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And hang on for one more moment and I have to play the all outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.